Hey, welcome to the Runaways podcast. My name is Cody. We are back. I hope everyone had a great holiday. Uh, Today, I am joined with Dan and Ethan. And Ethan, I know you are still technically on your holiday. So how has that been going for you? I am sore after two days of skiing out here in Boise, Idaho. Uh, It's not great skiing conditions. It's, uh, you know, global warming and all that. So there's like no snow out here. Um, But but artificial snow is a thing. And it makes for decent, decent skiing. So with a lot of falls after these two days, I'm just in bed trying to recuperate, but it's been fun. Mm. Do you ski or snowboard, Ethan? I ski, and I'm not okay, nice. too terribly good at it. You know, I'm from Louisiana, so mm-hmm. there is definitely yep. no snow down there. Uh, but every other year, I would normally visit my cousins out here and try to do some skiing. So on again, off again, I remember how to ski. And luckily, this was, this was a year where I remembered what to do. So <laughs> I, did, I did have fun. No, I know those pains pretty well. I have gone snowboarding exactly one time, and I was very good at going down the hill, and I was very bad at stopping. So stopping for me mm-hmm. just ended up just like throwing myself off to the side in order to stop. So by the end of the day, I was just covered in ice because I had oh, yeah. no way to stop my snowboard. That's the dangerous part, okay. honestly. Stopping is... <laughs> Yeah, if you run into someone else, sure, you've stopped, but you've probably also broken their leg, which which happened to my uncle. <laughs> yep. Got to be careful. Okay, today we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, we are in spoiler season, and so what we're going to start off here with is let's talk about, we have seen two new heroes uh, so mm-hmm. far since the last time that we met together. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, probably the most you know boring of the two. Uh, we're going to start with Olympia. Uh, And it says the first time each of your attacks wins a wager, create a gold token. And this is a new warrior hero. Um, Very simple effect. One line of text. What do we think so far um, about this hero? I mean, gold is pretty decent on its own, right? Like it's a trade a card for a new card plus a resource. Like, surely we're getting more gold payoffs this set. I I refuse to believe there's not at least one additional one that we haven't seen yet. Um, I don't know. Cashin is a good card when it costs zero. Draw two cards. It's pretty strong from what I hear. Well, apparently so, the community seems to think so, because Cashin's already like five bucks as rare. <laughs> yeah. So this is a warrior who doesn't mm-hmm. get double strike with their weapon. So we had to keep that in mind now. So yep. you do have to run attack actions more than likely, uh, unless we have you know some new weapon that that you know has the dawn blade effect and and mix with the other warrior put into the, together. So more than likely you're running attacks. Um, mm-hmm. You're probably wagering those attacks already, uh, well, of course, for the effect. So now you're getting the wager effect on top of the gold effect. So you're getting double you know double wagers essentially, right? If there's a lot of wager pump effects that hit weapons, though, we might just see great axe now. It's possible. Because it's super inefficient to block that. That that seems like a good wager target. Could get a very slow build there. And then we have to do mm-hmm. something with the gold then. Because it doesn't... Yep. Some kind of payoff combo kill yeah. kind of thing. Like knack break it back, maybe. It'd be like blood on the hands, but for gold. You know, yep. something along those lines. Because we haven't seen a specialization for him, right? Oh, no, we totally did. did you... that, that's the card that actually... Oh, did we? <laughs> what does it do? <laughs> Sorry. That's the card that actually makes this kind of exciting. The, the blue warrior attack action blocks up the ant mm, that's right. with X cost, uh, where you choose X plus one, target attack wagers an agility token, target attack wagers a gold, wagers a vigor, or target attack gets plus uh, attack, or attack is the number of times it has been wagered. There's actually something interesting about how this is written, by the way. I don't know if I've ever seen it before in a card. It says choose X plus one, so X is already used up in mm. the you know, text box, right? So when it comes to the plus, what you would normally say, plus X attack, it actually says plus Y attack, where Y is the number of items or number of times it has wagered. So we've got X and Y to, to break it up in the text box there. I don't think oh, I've seen spicy. that. That's, that's okay. strange. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I agree. I think if we have gold tokens, a, a payoff for them, besides yeah, just any payoff, using right? them, we have not seen any payoffs mm-hmm. yet. We, yeah. we need a good or several good outlets for these gold tokens besides just cycling a card and floating a resource mm-hmm. yeah like we have close to enough of like an engine and a game plan we just need the payoff for how, we, how do we win the game after we 
It's, it's like when we had Everfest and like we have all these make items, trade your items for coins. Now what? But why? Well, <laughs> but, why? <laughs> but we never we never got the que- the answer to that question. Yep. Maybe Hopefully we get the we get answer to that question here. now. I, I think we do. Surely we do. Please. Well, well if you look at... <laughs> Maybe it's the runaway spoiler. Who knows? Well, if you look at Kasai, right, we did see Raise an Army, which uh, lets you destroy X-Gold mm-hmm. to then create these Centauri Cell Sword tokens, which is really like pushing the envelope as to how powerful uh, gold really is in the payoff, right? You're summoning this ally all of a sudden. So that's at least one hero down where we see what gold translates towards, which is something unique. These, these allies that... Yeah. And that's a huge payoff. Oh, yeah. They don't have Phantasm. You're dealing with, like, these baby Blasm Pets all of a sudden. So if that's the ceiling, potentially, of what gold can turn into, uh, then who knows, really, how these other heroes play into it. I'm not sure if summoning allies is going to be something we see, like, across the board for these heroes, but maybe it's all within the theme of we're fighting in an arena, you know, pull up your buddies. Uh, or maybe it's just size straight because her whole backstory is built around, like, you know, she's doing whatever she can raise money then fund an armor so it could be tied to her maybe everyone gets mm-hmm. a payoff similar to this but uh yeah olympia the, the man's got to do something with his gold he definitely wins a lot a lot yeah he's gonna make gold I, in my mind like his specialization or like his payoff is gonna be like you get plus two or three damage per gold you sacrifice and he's just mm-hmm. gonna swing in for like 14 off of two cards or three cards or something yeah oh. i will also say i don't typically as of right now, uh, as far as wagers go, I don't mind giving my opponent a gold if needed. While gold is mm-hmm. good, if they have no payoff cards for it, you're just giving them like one resource for the most part. And they have to cycle a blue to even like make it worth it in, in a lot of cases. So and then if they blocked, more than likely they're not using the gold that turn and then you get the pressure back again. So like as far as all the other tokens go for like wagering, I haven't been able to work out exactly right. is it worth taking that risk. But the gold one on the surface, at least, feels like, eh, it's kind of okay if they block and get a gold. Yep. I think the mechanic's so sweet, though. Like, it allows yeah. them to print, like, Wounding Bowl, like, above-rate cards, where the drawback is, if your opponent's willing to block, they get a benefit. But, like, when is your opponent willing to block in this game? Well, we're we, going to find out. We've seen that with Swing Big, where most of the time yep. people just eat eight. <laughs> yep. yep. So. My favorite is when they block two cards and take two. Oh. That's my favorite thing. Oh. When you're, like, Swing Big, and they're like, oh, I block with two cards, and you're like, Okay, yeah, we'll live in this world. I've won. Yeah. That's the value game. You're not committed at that point. Like, come on. Agreed. That's your token. Uh, I will note so, here about Olympia real quick. Uh, he's probably the easiest of all the heroes we've seen so far to actually generate the gold itself, right? So, yep. Yep. and speaking earlier as to this payoff uh, ceiling, I don't think, I think after Rain it in, I don't think Olympia's payoff with gold can be that insane because he will generate mm-hmm. it most easily. Out of everyone we've seen. So your idea, Dan, of like maybe the gold pumps. Uh I think it'll be like Moonshot. And this is like pure speculation and probably not correct at all. But I feel like it'll be like Moonshot. Like you'll mm-hmm. get plus X or plus two, plus three, and if you reach ten or so, it's overpower and wager or something and keep the trend going. I don't know. You know, I could see it being maybe a little bit more interactive where cashing in gold negates some of your opponent's defenses for the turn, something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh where it's almost like, you know, you're you're tipping the scales in your favor. You're bribing, you know, the the, the armor intimidate when you oh use gold that'd be hero ability though or like equipment <laughs> that sounds like a merchant equipment i'm just i'm just imagining a world where you have like five or six golds and you go into your mm-hmm. turn and you're just like just go, 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 go break all my golds get all your cards in mana and then you're just like attack with my weapon pump 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 like i mean mm-hmm. yeah if he's built like a guardian where like you're more blue slanted like the payoff could just be having six gold, like you're saying. Yeah. Because you break enough gold, you go up actual cards. And then you're just like, here's here's an attack for 15 or 18. I just used all my pumps. And we've yep. seen Final Act in Melody just saying, though, it can get really scary if there's some payoff tied to the amount you've cycled or the amount in, in Melody's case mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah. Ooh. He feels like a show, show buddy kind of guy. So lots of speculation. Lots of speculation for such a simple effect, which is uh, yep. it's great. It's great when you can print one sentence on the card and you're like, "Ooh, I like this." Um, okay, mm-hmm. next is the one that everyone's been excited about, which is Betsy. Uh, and when whenever an attack you control wagers, you may pay two, 
If you do, the attack gets plus one and overpower. So we're bringing overpower from bright lights. So it's not just a bright lights ability anymore. Uh, what do we think about this guardian so far? I am so ecstatic to see her weapon in action. There's already been so much brewing around the Anothos like value combos you can put mm -hmm. together uh, because like her her ability right just as act not attack action card. So yeah, that's obvious, obvious synergy with some kind of weapon, even with Anothos, which is clearly like not her signature giant tree stump, or whatever she's building. There's already these really cute combos. So I, I just want to see the full picture. Betsy looks so exciting as a, a character that's like not just playing the weapon game like some of the other Guardians fall back on, where you're potentially just blocking three cards, pitching your weapon in to Anothos and have this consistent 13 value turn. She can put so much of her... Uh, I would think like buffs and even her ability, hero ability onto her weapon that she might play a little mm -hmm. bit different. Maybe not throwing some attacks, but building up auras and then actually slamming like a weapon attack follow up. That is very unique. We haven't seen that yet in Guardians, so that's what I'm hoping she kind of develops more fully into. I think it'd be a really, really interesting playstyle, and I'm all here for it. Someone's got to drum yeah, it makes her. It makes those setup plays way more flexible too. Like if you play an aura that can hit your weapon and pump it like you can play off of one card mm -hmm. and just swing for four plus the pump or you can play a full hand and get in for like 16 overpower it's pretty sweet mm. and we are and seeing like, that as well like the aura is uh, bigger than big that's been spoiled that one as well says next guardian mm, attack yep. not attack action yep. so it's kind of the theme and her ability costs two is that right mm -hmm. yes like that's kind of nuts on board having you, you need to wager right so you're gonna have to play like a zero for three or whatever but she has on board two cards to make a seismic surge and swing a weapon for seven overpower with anathos right like that's insane but it's like it, it seems like her pool is not going to synergize with anathos right because i think the spoilers we saw were like two cost or less and a lot of the attacks like were threes. a lot of attacks were three or four okay the actual wager attacks. yeah the attacks will yeah but yep. the pumps like what the things that wager mm -hmm. with your weapon are probably not going to cost three yeah uh, so I agree. We got to see your weapon, and I'm excited to see it. I think that it, plus one is really important. I think that's like really it's a huge strong. Deal. Yeah, it's yeah. like you kind of get like a good dominate. Obviously, you don't have dominate if the deck, like if your opponent's running like unmovables and stuff, like then you basically, mm -hmm. you know, it, it nullifies that. But most decks aren't running that. Obviously, in like mirrors and stuff, that would be relevant. But for the most part, like you get plus one, and you potentially get, you know, like a dominate effect afterwards. I think that plus one's like really, really good. It's like beyond yep. good. And you have a dollar for a seismic or a four cost attack off yep. two cards. Like it's it's a good start. I'm excited to see her pull. Yep. And we've already seen uh some of the previous guardian card pool like Terra Sunder, uh Buckle, right? Those can also apply to weapons. Now you're looking at mm -hmm. further pushing those breakpoints. Uh it's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. I'm here for it. I'm so happy we're not wagering to discard a card from hand. Yet. Yeah, we never yeah. are. Please, please. <laughs> discard is bad. I mean, discard maybe, maybe we'll print like bad. an oldem specialization that wagers to discard a card, and Oof. we can have fun in LL with that. That's fine. I know. I I saw. Uh, I can't take credit for this, but uh, they they were hoping that maybe she comes out as a light hero eventually, so that her name could be Heaven's Betsy, which I think is great. Mm. That would be sweet. Um, but now I'm excited for her. You know, it's like a new guardian that's like there's a good reason to play this over bravo like yep. it's always That's been fun. hard to be like why would you play you know they've always, the guardians have always been so solid that it's like give us a good yep. reason without just like invalidating the other hero and then this was mm. like a really good design space i feel like for them to make a new guardian that does still feels like a guardian still lives in that world has a similar effect but doesn't invalidate the previous guardian either yep i agreed crippling so, crush also helps with that but yeah of course. But no, I really do like the uh, the direction of these new heroes. Um, I'm excited to see what the brute one looks like. I mean, I'm assuming we're probably just going to get like a wager brute and then another brute. Yep. But um, and also, I think I'm most excited currently to start brewing with Kasai as soon as we can. Uh, yep. But, Super but she needs man. way more cards before you can even mm -hmm. really take a look at her because the yellow slot is so difficult in decks. And so trying to find a, a curve that makes playing enough yellows not punishing, I think that's going to be, you know, part of her deck building. Uh, just speaking of, uh, we're still between Guardian 
Warrior. I've been looking through the card list here. And actually, of all the cards we've seen so far, there is one gold payoff card that we didn't mention. Double down. Uh, the aura that lets you either pay two for it, next attack wagers, wages this turn gets plus three and overpower. You can actually destroy a gold instead of pay the cost for this kind of card. I totally missed that in looking at the card pool. So that sets a precedent at least for uh, these mm. pumps uh, or potentially even attacks that will just let you pay similar to cash in like a gold up front rather than the cost itself. So that's that's one smidge at least of a bit of payoff. Uh, for Does that go again? Uh, yes, it has go again. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a okay. nice loop it's for Olympia, playable. right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that makes sense. It's like his nimbleism, minoism, if he's like an aggro deck, right? Yep. I agree. But also it's going to hit and get a gold. That's pretty good. I'm just excited to see how wager feels. Like, in my mind, right. it feels like super fair and like interesting every time you're wagering or you're getting wagered against. Just like more more decisions I get to make, right? Like, do I want these tokens? Do I want you to have these tokens? Oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> I, I look forward to a tournament setting where uh, you add an entire extra like five minutes to a turn cycle where you decide whether or not to wager. Potentially you decide whether or not what to wager. Then your opponent decides uh, whether they <laughs> want to commit to letting you have this wager or not by blocking you know differently than they normally would. And then if the wager hit effect happens, then maybe it changes decisions again on your own turn. <laughs> there might be some players that just really uh, makes the clock quite an opponent for you. It could yep could also be a world where you're playing a mirror, like a guardian mirror, not necessarily the same heroes, and you're just like, okay, we can't wager, or they'll just block and get the advantage. Mm -hmm. So now we're just going to have to swing our weapons at each other all day. Like, oh. that's like, that's one of my fears for the opposite mm -hmm. side, is if you're, when you're playing it into, like, really defensive decks, um, and that's all I've been thinking about, because I've been putting a lot of work into, like, Dash.io recently, um, and th the entire thing around Dash.io is, like, almost every deck can block you out, so like you'd got to have a game plan for that and it's like the same thing with like the wager heroes in my mind is where like you actually have to have a game plan for the other yeah. decks that have d-reacts that have the ability to block because it's so advantageous for them to use a d-react or mm -hmm. or anything to block you because they get such a huge advantage that way you're gonna have to make like a whole game plan a secondary like the guardian now has to play the game plan of what do i do against the decks that can block me efficiently like azuri comes to mind is another one that's like might actually be playable into things that are trying to wager because she wants to block with two cards already. Right. You know, for mm -hmm. an example. Right. And so far this, uh, this use of the keyword overpower over dominate, uh, still like kind of shows the power of these original suite of cards like sink below, like fate person. Um, it's just such an easy inclusion for most decks, especially if uh, we approach kind of a mid range meta, then almost no deck is really taxed by putting these cards in. It's just about winning the value game turn cycle and you add these cards to the deck then all of a sudden wager does feel even backed by overpower feels much harder to really pull off mm -hmm. yeah i think it also had a, a lot of value to warrior in limited right like i think historically warrior was a little behind like in welcome to wraith the other two maybe not brute it was close but like in, in theory they should be the re reaction heavy class right which gets around overpower yep yeah they're uh they're just base cards don't care about overpower for the most part yeah yeah like the, like their commons and their, their draft chaff should have like value in that way like we saw with the block cards in in uh bright lights yeah i, I feel like for mm, it's gonna be like hit or miss my initial impression of like wager is that like for some decks it's gonna be an absolute like impossible thing for them to do like we've always seen mm. uh, if you have two blocks and stuff like you're just not gonna play that game um, yep. And then the other op like, the other issue is going to be like if they are able to block it very efficiently, then you're just giving your opponent like plus one attack and go again and, you know, things like that. That's uh, pretty dangerous, especially when it's like profitable to be blocking. Yeah, all the like really good decks that playing two card hands are, are going to love seeing Wager in the format and you need a dedicated sideboard like you're saying. Mm -hmm. I, I think it'll be interesting to try and tackle that from the, the Guardian perspective. Because uh, mm -hmm. you no, know, never really had to do that. You always had to do it from the the aggro perspective. Yep. In the past. What's interesting though is that all of these classes that are getting support are classes that don't really have to deal with the two costs or two blocks rather in their deck. So mm -hmm. they they might mm -hmm. attack some of the like, that are still around, but all of these in their own little meta Zalia game. Too. Zalia too. sure. But all these in their own little meta game, especially as a lot of this was made 
draft experience, uh, they don't have to run into problems. So mm -hmm. if these are some of the strongest decks, then they kind of all answer the same uh, problem with each other, that they, they can play like more mid-range games if they want to. And then, yeah, like it's like the draft experience then brought over fully into where they all really do feel interactive with each other. And that's that's what I want to see. I don't want to see matchups mm -hmm. that are a little too I just can't interact with I don't want to see that. I want, I want to block with my cards. I want to make good decisions. All these so far play into each other really well in that regard. Looking forward to it. Actually, I think that's also pretty funny into like Kano, where like he totally can block them and get the tokens, but like, what are you gonna do with them? <laughs> <laughs> Nourishing emptiness, baby. I want to. Yep, one time. Let's go again. I'll say that's like one thing I really liked from Bright Lights, like draft to CC, is they did a really good job of like Dash IO plays the same in both formats. So like mm -hmm. the dash IO deck that you're playing in your draft is like the sa doing the same things for the most part than what you're doing in CC. You're just doing it like better in CC. Uh, but that identity carried over like a one for one nearly. And we don't see that very often um, in the past. And I think that was like, ooh, this is nice. This feels good. Yeah. It's like a good progression if you like start playing and you're just playing like a sealed or a limited pool. And then you like, oh, I like how this hero operates. You can easily translate that into the CC and it feels the same. You're getting the same experience. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we see that a lot with like cards in plays. Like as soon as you play Red Recharge at Max, like, oh, this is amazing. And like surely that translates to CC, which it did. And I'm thinking back to like Belittle and Monarch. Like I played that in Chain. I was like, this is amazing. Like surely we should shove this in the deck. And I was convinced not to at the time, but we came back around. Well, just think back to Icelander, right? Icelander, when it initially yeah. translated from draft to CC, was Sands the Attack. Until Michael Hamilton went back and said, Hold up, I really like the feeling of a red Findel's Fighting Spirit when I play Draft Icelander. What if we just put that in the CC deck? And then, holy moly, the play pattern carried through, and I mean, that deck did what it did. So, he was onto something. I The first thing I thought of when I saw Betsy is I was like, ooh, you get, like, dominate, but you don't have to, pr like, do it before the ice comes in. And then I was like, wait, there's no ice. This doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. That was my first thought was like, oh, oh, this, this can beat Icelander because you can dominate Sands it like after the attack instead of like, do you have a reaction to my dominate? And I was like, nah, it's not even relevant anymore. That's like always my first thought when I see new hero. Can this right. play around ice? And I don't have to do that anymore, which is pretty exciting. It's so nice, man. It, I really think it ruined like every spoiler season, at least a little bit. It's like, this sounds so sweet, but if I get a frostbite, I just can't play the game. <laughs> and that's gone. It's great. The game is saved. And it's Nigon and LL too. One hypothermia, one CLF. I can. Yep, ice is dead. Cool. Okay, let's go into our main topic of the evening here. Let's talk about, uh, since we're getting to the end of the year, let's talk mm -hmm. about some 2024 goals. I think for a lot of us, uh, the team as a whole, the organization, everything has uh, grown a lot in 2023. It was definitely a great year for kind of uh, putting down you know, plans, putting those in action. I mean, even with like Savage Feats and everything that yeah, Ethan's been doing, I think 23 was like a really good year of just building things, like getting yep. like the, the the roots and getting the foundation put in place. Uh, but let's talk about some player goals you have, organizational mm -hmm. goals, if you want to talk about that as well, that you guys have for, you know, 2024. Dan, you start. I got a ruminator. Sure. <laughs> okay, no, I'm ready to go. So, like, my my focus is very much focused on um, exercise and diet and sleep. Um, this is something I did not last year, the year before. Um, I forget the timeline, but after PT Lil, I was like, wow, I'm, like, clearly able to top these events. I just need to win one more game at each event. So I, like went really hard into like researching like optimal diet for someone who plays card games or like chess is what I mimicked. Um, and actually like went really strict that year and I felt like it paid off. I had those back-to-back -back nationals and worlds top four, top two runs. Um, I just felt better and like it was really effective. This year I kind of slacked. Um, I came off the world high and then I knew I wasn't going to worlds this year. So I kind of prioritized like the the fun and enjoying my time value at events over being super strict. Cause like when I'm strict dieting, like I might skip dinners with the team. I might go to bed early, like that kind of thing. I won't 
even consider touching alcohol or like anything with sugar in it the whole weekend until my run's over. And if you're topping, it's the whole weekend, sadly, but also good. Um, so I'm bringing back that focus. Um, I'm currently mapping out like a pretty detailed plan. Uh, I've already started. My goal is just to do any amount of exercise every day. Um, even if it's just like stretching for 10 minutes, like that counts. Um, so that's really what my focus is in terms of like goals, like winning, topping, whatever. I, I want to make one like splashy top eight. I don't care what it is, like nationals, pro tour calling, whatever. Just, I like topping and competing in top eight is like a very special thing. But my goal is to get my health and fitness nutrition plan in check and play the best I can play. That's really it. A lot of goals for the organization outside of that, but we can we can kind of circle back on that one. Uh, I a little I started a little bit on a couple of my goals going into 2024. One of them so far being similarly health. Uh, I got scared into the fact that there's going to be a hot spring excursion out in New Zealand. So like, oh, got to shape up for that one. That kickstarted my fitness journey a little bit early, but that is something as well that uh, basically since college I've slacked on and needed to get back into the rhythm of, uh, and excuses aside, it, it really just came down to me not taking, uh, going. Like I even, I even own, uh, like stationary bike. So, uh, I've been trying to do better on that front and I've never really taken the dieting aspect of it that seriously. I keep trying to think I can get away with them. I'm still young. I can eat whatever I want. And as the years go on, that's less and less true, but we'll start small. So my goal as of now has been to uh, try to get in, you know, the 10,000 steps a day, going back to basics uh, with some help from Matt Folks. I've also been going to the gym with um, some instruction from him, which has felt amazing to have that kind of support. Uh, so that's been more of a personal goal that I've already dipped into. But for Fab specifically, I really just want to earn a PTI uh, because especially with my current life, sometimes streaming these bigger events, uh, I don't really know when I get to play in the premier events. Maybe I'm doing coverage, so, you know, I just won't play at, like, the next calling, the next approach, or whatever it is, right? And if that's the case, then I'd rather just have a PTI, at least, that I can bank on. Not one that I buy from someone, because those are specifically transferred to just one event, but one that I can sit back on so that if I somehow missed a qualifying season, because I've been busy with Battle Hardens, because I've been busy with whatever, I can say, okay, cool, I can still jump into the next event that I am free for and take Leviah back out again, do whatever I want, right? Uh, as of now, I've missed earning a PTI at pretty much every event by, like, one bracket. Now, I got, yeah. like, uh, normally, like, uh, if the next year was top 32 or something gets PTI, then I was 64. If it was top 16, then I was top 32. I've missed, like, every single time, just barely. Uh, so... That is something I'm still hoping to do, and uh, 2024 feels like a good year. Fruit set coming out, right? is already feeling mm -hmm. great, uh, so I, I think it's possible. Just depends, once again, on how many events I can actually play. Um, other than that... It's happening this year, I have no doubt. That's, that's what we like to hear. Um, yeah. Other than that, I would also like to just see Leviah get her first win overall. It doesn't have to be me. But as a fab, I'm winning the cruise, man. I, I think I'm on Leviah. We'll see. I'm still working on it, but oh. I'm going to take down the cruise brawl on Leviah Blitz, I think. Oh, we got to hear more about this cruise later, Dan. I forgot that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just overall, the community is still without a major win for Leviah. And my God, people, she is actually pretty good. You know, especially now that the other top two heroes are rotating out. I hope that other higher level players will pick her up really commit the time, like we've even seen on some of the runaways do, to just believe in her, bring her to the bigger events, and that's all it's really going to take for the best players to put up results, like Fab really caters towards anyway, better players tend to put up better results. If that better player is on Leviah, then take home that win, you know? And I think 2024 is the year where we'll really see more people take her out in stride and get maybe a Nationals win, a Calling win. I'll even take a Battle Hardened win. That one hasn't happened yet either. But it, this is it. It's happening in 20, 2024, I feel. And that pretty much sums it up. Personal, my fab journey, and overall fab hope. How about you? Well, I think mine's pretty simple. Um, I want to top eight a tier three, tier four event uh, this year. Uh, I did not uh, in this previous year. I did the year before that. So I would like to go back to doing that. Um, and I think 
I feel like uh, I feel like it's time. I mean, I go to the events, I think. And for people on the team, they, they know this. But like if, if you're listening at home, kind of the mentality that at least I have when we go to these like, you know, calling plus level events is like you go to the event prepared, ready to play. You play as perfect as you possibly can or as perfect as as possible. Uh, and you just do that at every event. Eventually, you will top eight one of the events. But you have to have your perfect play line up with the luck that it does take in order to get there, whether that's matchmaking luck or just draw, you know, the top 20 draw uh, luck that you might have. Uh, and then you have some ability to influence that outside the perfect play by deck choice. And I think that was like probably a skill that I think I gained this year that helped me being more comfortable with certain deck choices going into larger events than I would normally have been comfortable with. Um, the games evolved, you know, to the point where there isn't just like a chain that you can just take out and, you know, take to the events. So you kind of have to weigh like what your actual matchup spread is and what you are targeting when you're going to larger events now. Um, and so taking that skill, moving it into here, continuing, you know, really good play and going to every event, you know, eventually you will once again end up uh, topping. So that's kind of like the goal there. Uh, also, I, I want to find a deck that I love playing again. I'm really hoping with the excess of heroes that we have coming out, you know, the the ton of, of heroes that we should have, I don't know, 15 or something was like the number that was thrown around. I'm hoping to find a hero that I enjoy playing as much as I enjoyed playing Prism or Chain, for instance. Um, and so I'd like to find something like that to kind of specialize in again. Obviously, we're moving out of a specialization meta at, because of how Living Legend works, but I would very much like to uh, be able to do that. Um, and those are kind of like my personal goals. I, you know, obviously I would like to be able to uh, get more of our teammates to win more events. I mean, we had a pretty successful 2023, I think, but, you know, always the goal is with the team is to get as many people as we can at top eight, win as many of the, the major events as, as we can. I mean, I think that's like, you know, our main goal you know, as a team. And Dan, uh, if you want to talk mm -hmm. about a little bit about some organizational goals that you might have. Yeah, I think we still have to get those in order a little bit, but a couple that come to mind, like, I think the easiest, I say easiest, it's not that easy, but I think the kind of like simplest goal is to get one of these podcasts out every single week for the whole year. Um, I'm confident we can do it. And I, I'm excited to see like where we're at at the end of next year in terms of like following and if people are still liking it. Like if you guys like the podcast, please let us know. Um, if you want to see any changes or see us talk about some different stuff, please let us know too. We're open to feedback. Yeah, I'm excited to watch our you know first couple episodes yeah. again a year from now after we've been doing it for a year, have everything in place, see see what the difference looks like between the two because obviously you know it's a skill that we're currently working on. Trying to oh, gain, 100%, yep. um, and, and the object is trying to just get as many, you know, high level players as we can on one podcast every single week to talk about yep. the game in hopefully a way that is, you know, is unique to a lot of other podcasts um, mm -hmm. and provide, you know, some value that way. I mean, that's like the I mean, this is like the ultimate goal of the discord uh, yep. as a, you know, a lot of people might not know, but like the the idea behind the discord that we ended up creating is that we have people ask us all the time to join the team. And unfortunately, we can only have so many people on the team. There's only like a certain number of people that we can support. There's lots of people we would like to have, but we, mm -hmm. you know, we have to, uh, you know, as of right now, limit it to the, you know, like the 15 people that we have right now. However, I have a lot of people that I know who are good players who want to be a top level player. They want to take the game a little more seriously. They want to play at higher level events. However, unfortunately, they're all over the you know United States or the world, and they're not. They don't have people in their local environment who are trying to take the game as seriously as they are. And so, mm -hmm. the ultimate idea behind the Discord is to find all of those people, give them an outlet where they can meet up with other people who are like minded. They want to take the game more seriously. They want to take it to the next level. They want to compete in tier four you know, tier three events. They just don't have a local community or a local scene or enough people locally to be able to do that and give them an, an avenue where they can meet like-minded players, play high quality games against those players, you know, discuss decks, figure out what they want to bring to the next event, you know, put in 
hey, I would like to test this matchup. Is anyone around who wants to test this matchup? You know, give them the ability to like function like a team, even though they don't have the local, you know, equivalent. And that, you know, that's like the base level of what we're trying to do with the, the Discord. And obviously there is another layer that, you know, allows more access to the team. Because, you know, we do like helping. We do like teaching people. We do like uh, people who, you know, want to get good at the game. That's like one of our passions is to try and get people to, you know, the level that they want to be at as far as, you know, we can because we're still learning at the same time. Right. But the next level that just gives more access to the team in general, you know, more questions, more interactions, videos, you know, the, you know, training videos, things like that um, as well. And that's kind of the ultimate goal of what the discord is. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm most excited about for next year, just seeing like at the end of next year what that looks like our community like we just got it started this year we just got our infrastructure like we're ready to go start producing more content more more everything Mm -hmm. um if you're part of our discord community like please give us feedback if there's things you're looking for that you're not getting currently or if there's anything you think like will help the group as a whole get better like we're, we're actively wanting to to help you guys succeed and nothing makes us happier than seeing the success of you guys and the rest of our teammates yeah i mean i i know we, we haven't had it open that long, but I remember mm-hmm. I got uh, pinged a question. Hey, how do you build dash IO uh, in, you know, draft or sealed? And I just like, I was, oh, like yeah. oh. I was like, here you go. And I just laid out the exact formula that I use uh, to, to build dash IO. And one of the people in the discord took that and ended up, I think they went top eight in the sealed uh, portion uh, of the realm rumble, uh, you yeah. know, after doing that. And they had used like basically the formula that I had laid out. And like, that's the type of things that, you know, we want to be able to do for people who are trying to, you know, take the game at a more competitive level. Um, that's what I'm excited to see the success yeah. stories at the end of the year. See, you know, who has been able to really take advantage of that process. Yeah, because like you said earlier, there's only so much you can do individually to win a tournament. Like yeah. our I think for most of the team, the mentality is like, if we get the good luck for this event, like we're going to capitalize. Like you have mm-hmm. to be in that position to capitalize. But once you're in that position, like, if you don't get lucky, like just help other people capitalize if they get lucky, right? Yeah, for sure. Like that's why I, you know, I'll still always love our nationals run because like you, me, and Lucas just spent a ton of time just digging yeah, into so everything about Icelander, and yeah. to the point where we're just like this one-off situation would happen. Hey, what are we doing this? And we would talk through it, and then Dan would of course run into that situation the next game yeah, uh, and be able to handle it. But you know, after all of that. We're just like, yeah, this is terrible in Delexi, but maybe we can win enough of them that it doesn't matter. And we just took it and then both of you guys ended up topping. Um, I mean, yeah. my CC was actually good that event, but Chain just failed me in the draft, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like that. I was like, okay, we took this. There was like a small group of us on the team working on it. We hired yeah, it was some of the best collaboration perfectly. I've ever done. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like one person being like, this is how we do this. This is mm-hmm. how you make this play. It was like, no, like I ran into this situation. Like, here's what I would do, but what do you think? I mean, that, that was like constant. That list got so super good. tuned as well, you know, yeah. to exactly what we wanted it to be, where everyone was happy. And that doesn't normally happen where you get a list yep. where everyone is happy with all of all of the cards in it. Yep. So I thought and that's kind of like what we want to give the opportunity for people to be able to do uh, and host. Yep. host Collaboration is so key for, for getting to there. Like y- you can do it on your own, but like it's not going to be as good. Yep. One piece that I've really enjoyed as well. Um, from the the rare the majestic gears is the the tournament reports uh because mm. me personally i i would always really just dig into whenever someone on a podcast or someone on a youtube video would talk about their tournament reports at length uh especially when they could pinpoint specifically like where something failed that they could fix for next time those learning moments right because you as the player are only going to experience your own tournament run but if you're in an event with like 300 other people there's 300 tournament runs you could try to learn from uh and so to hear directly sometimes even on the ground if the teammates are really on top of it about the tournament runs especially when they articulate uh, decision points that could have gone differently which i think the the team overall has been really good at has been my favorite part of the engagement that's really come out of this uh and something that i also had now taken upon myself to practice right about my own tournaments uh even uh, even like as a personal practice to take a beat before writing about my tournament runs, because I know if in the moment I'm just going to dump whatever the feels bad moment was, but to know that I need to check in with myself, uh, go ahead, mm-hmm. write this report later on has really helped me and I've enjoyed reading them all. So if you want to hear about um, all these top eights that the runaways are really reeling in these days, uh, 
no meme. We're doing we're doing quite well. Yeah. Then the, yeah, no, that, that stuff is so real though for like improving at the game. Like doing the actual work of like writing down your findings and like thinking about why they played out the way they did. Um, like during testing, during tournaments, like all the time, even after the event, like writing non gameplay related things that helped you do well that weekend. Like that stuff pays off in the end. Like I, I don't know. I'm just trying to advocate for like take your testing more seriously if you want to perform better and one thing i really liked last cycle was i was just testing icelander because i'm like i'm probably gonna play this deck so anytime i learned even like a silly lesson like hey when you have a wounding bull you should probably play that card and try to never block with it like that helps because you check back later and like oh yeah this is what i learned early on and now you can apply it to the context of i understand this deck better now do i still agree with myself earlier that kind of thing yep i agree i mean it's it's important to have um, a good group of people who you can bounce ideas off of, collaborate on, and obviously it just speeds up your time in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a much better to play games when you can do takebacks and walk through lines and talk about things than just grinding mindlessly on, you know, Talishar, where yeah. it's I like everyone's just, today in tr- <laughs> everyone's just trying to get through as many games as they possibly can, as fast as they possibly can. So if you take an extra, mm. you know, two minutes to make a decision, your Talishar opponent just like leaves. And you're just like, oh, wow. Okay. All right. You'll never know yeah. when you run into That's Peter Budensik, who's trying to fit in. What What is he trying to do? Like 10,000 games in 2024? <laughs> I saw that too. I was like, man, I did this math before for myself. And no. I was like, maybe I could play a thousand games in a year. <laughs> no, thanks. Okay. Uh, unless anyone has any other big goals for 2024, uh, we can jump over to our Discord questions. I, I have a question to lead this section off. Okay. Uh, primarily about the cruise that's coming up, Dan. I yeah. totally forgot this is happening. Can you enlighten us about oh, yeah. what is actually the, the format you'll be playing, who you know that's going? Give us a brief. Yes, yeah, so we haven't seen additional details other than the first announcement. But basically, this is a cruise on Royal Caribbean, Allure of the Sea. It's a, quite a nice ship from what I understand. Um, it's just a three-day, four-night cruise, I think, um, from Orlando to the Bahamas. Uh, and the plan is to play Flesh and Blood on the cruise. Um, basically, the first, was it two nights? Um, is that right? Yeah, the first two nights will just have, like, in the evening, there'll be open play, and you can buy draft tickets in advance. Um, so think, like, side events at a Battle Harden, that kind of thing. Um then the next day we are at our Bahamas destination for one single day. Um, we spend all day there. Same thing at night, open play. Uh, but then on the full day heading back back to Orlando, uh, we will have a Blitz Brawl event, um, which I believe is a 2K. Um, and it should have Realm invitations on the line as well. Um, so it's a fun way to kind of hang out with the community and... If you like cruises, it, it sounds pretty awesome and have a, a Blitz competitive event as well, which I actually enjoy a lot because CC's not pointless to test right now, but like we're getting a whole new set and there's no tournaments for like two months anyway. So it's like the perfect time for me to engage with the new format that I haven't checked out since Worlds a full year ago. Um, so I've been enjoying, I'm testing a lot with Naib right now, trying to lock in what deck we're playing. Levi is my current front runner, Dash might be a little bit better. Um, might just fatigue people with EOG. I don't know. Still figuring that out, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And Levi is really good at swinging for 20 damage mm. in a turn. I'd so just I say, like that. Uh, be careful. The more you fatigue people out with Yoji, uh, the more your opponents are likely to jump off the cruise ship out of frustration. So <laughs> just be warned. <laughs> that is a lot of people's take, I feel like. Like, why are you going on a cruise to fatigue people? Like, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. You should play Vincent or something, which I might. It's, it's not out of the question yet. He, he's one of the, the few I'm, I'm still considering. Sweet. Earl, thank you, Dan. Sure. Okay, our first, uh, I guess our second Discord question then uh, from Fighting Walloon is, what deck would you personally play at ba- Battle Hard in Cincinnati if you were going, and why would you pick it? And I believe this is before the next set, right? Mm-hmm. And it yeah, is it's the cruise week, correct? Yeah, okay. Mm, two weeks yep it's it's dc and then it's coming up uh what january i believe it's the first three weekend of january the 6th and 7th yep so very soon that's accurate 
They actually posed this question in our Discord the other day because I really have no idea. Like I felt so lost. Currently, I, I would probably just sub dash IE. Um, that's just because I like the mech playstyle. And I think it's probably just better than Max, as, as much as I don't like to admit it. Oh. Um, I mean, that is in a good spot. Like, you're right. Yeah, like dash, like, it's just a solid deck that whatever you play against, you're going to have, you know, be able to play out, be able to actually play yeah. the game. Yeah, my take is in CC right now, there's two tiers, and it's like tournament playable and not tournament playable. And the not tournament playable tier is like four decks. So there's like 13 good tournament decks right now. Like, I don't know. I, I, I personally would probably... If I had to lock in right now, I'd lock in Dash IE. And if it doesn't work out, I'm playing Phi. Yeah, I think Phi is a really good choice. I, I might just lock in Phi. Like, if my first get, day or two of playing Dash IE doesn't go well, I I think I would finally be subbing Phi, but I'm going on a cruise instead that weekend, so... I, I would plug that if you're trying to follow the most recent tournament data, even though it wasn't broadcast anywhere, there were the two PTI events at DreamHack where Brody mm. won both of them on Dromai. So the most recent tournament deck with results is Dromai back-to-back. Granted, this is Brody who's playing it, but uh, Dromai is always that interesting piece where if people kind of forgot about needing to tech a deck to actually handle Dromai, uh, or even this kind of assumption that maybe Dash is the safest pick, Dromai likes that field, right? So Dromai could still find her place there, but my answer would always be Leviathan. I, I said 2024, we want that big win. I don't think there's any reason why Cincinnati couldn't be the first big win for Leviah. Uh, it's uh, it's almost enough to incentivize me to go out and do it. It's a bit of a drive. I definitely won't be streaming that one. But there's a world where I just can't sleep and I go ahead and drive to Cincinnati and just and just play. And I would 1,000% be on Leviah. Yeah, I'm just I, not ready to play that deck yet. I do agree that uh, Leviah is a good choice. Um mm-hmm. I, I think do so. like that deck. I think it needs a lot of reps. Like, you need a lot of reps to play it, yeah. you know, optimally, because you're kind of playing against yourself in most matchups anyway. Um, and how you actually manage that deck and don't let it manage you is pretty important. Um, so I think that's a good choice. I think Katsu is also really, really good mm-hmm. in this spot. Um, like, I wouldn't... I personally wouldn't bring Dromai. I personally wouldn't bring Bravo. I don't think these decks are... I think these decks are just, like, you can win, but more than likely you're not going to, um, is how I feel about those two decks. I would I would bring Katsu because it eats up on Fi, it eats up on Dromai, uh, and then in every other matchup, it's either pushing the tempo or it just needs one turn to win. Like, if your opponent ever makes a mistake, I'm a like, really big proponent of Katsu at battle-hardened levels because it constantly asks your opponent the question of, can you properly block and guess what I'm trying to do here? And if the answer to that is no, if they slip up once, which is like a really good example of my calling matchup when I was playing Bravo and I thought I had the game pretty wrapped up and then I misblocked on one turn. I took like a took like a, a risky block that I kind of didn't need to take, but I took a risky block and he just pushed over it and then had a giant turn and all of a sudden the game just completely swung into his favor. And like that can happen to anyone and you have to constantly mm-hmm. guess the correct thing. And I was like, ah, he's already used two of them. There's no way he held the three card hand and, and wants to pump over on me. And that's exactly what he was. He was attempting to do. Um, and if you want to learn from that mistake, that was streamed by Savage Feats. It was, go look it up. That game was uh, calling was Dallas, calling mm-hmm. Dallas. Um, and and so like having a deck that constantly asks people questions of properly blocking, I think is very powerful. Um, yep. especially at the battle heart <clears throat> level, uh, where, uh, it's usually, you know, a lot of local people and then like some, you know, people coming out trying to spike it. So I would very much be heavy on, on Katsu. Um, and the reason I picked Katsu over Fi is just because Katsu beats Fi and Fi has been pretty popular lately. Um, and it's a little trickier than Fi is. It's less consistent, but it's more tricky. So I, I think those are like, Levia, if you have the reps and you feel comfortable, 100% you can bring that, no problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not, I would play Katsu, personally. I think Azalea looks good, yep. too. And shout I out to like, Naive, because Naive did get stuck. kind of my Katsu issue. I don't like playing a deck that can't block with equipment. Yeah. And you just got to, like, yep. avoid all the Bravos and hope you can still win that matchup if they actually play properly. Yeah. But if you're, like, a little unprepared or, like, you think not quite at this level but as others, I would just slam Azalea and say, like, hey, if my hands line up, like, I'm just not ever losing a game. True. 
There are some pretty yep. busted things in an Azalea deck that plays six card hands with tunic counter. Yep. To throw I think it arrow, might be the highest pump. power deck right now. It's just like not the most consistent and you don't have a lot of options on the blocking side if that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good question there. Okay, the next question I thought was pretty interesting. It's from Ice Cream Lando, and it is, what is your routine like the day of a big event? Dan? All right. Ethan? Ethan? All right, sure. Uh, my routine before a big event, I have a ritual that like literally must be performed, or I'm just going to be tilted all day. Uh, I need to hit a Starbucks. I need to get an iced Starbucks blonde vanilla latte large or venti, whatever they call it. I need to get a ham and Swiss croissant. If I do not start my day with those items in my rotted American capitalist brain that has just been fed to me, uh, then I am just going to be upset. There's something in me just feels off the entire day if I don't satiate that need. So that's where it always starts. Always has to start there. Um, and that really feeds me for the entire day. The rest of my day, I don't eat, I don't, I don't snack, like nothing. I'll drink water here and there. Every once in a while, Brody will hit me up with a bite of a sandwich. Sure, sure, but that's incidental. Otherwise, that meal and that amount of coffee takes me through the entire tournament day. Uh, and there is something, for me personally at least, where I'm starting to get that, like, that little edge feeling of, like, you know, the hunger's, the hunger's almost hitting me, almost hitting me, and it's like a reward if I can push through the entire day and then let myself be distracted by food and going out to eat with friends and um, yada yada. So it may not be the healthiest, and I'm sure Dan, who's looked into like chess studies as to how to perform best, will refute everything I just said. But for me personally, that's what I have to do, have to do, or I'm just like literally 15 degrees off like all day. Yeah, I got through mine. I mean, the number one thing for these things is like, you have to do what works for you. Um, that said, I have like, I'm actually in the process of like outlining my specific kind of, um, what do you call it? Like, um, plan for, for the day of events and even routine. like routine outside of events. Um, but kind of my optimal routine is like wake up whenever before the event, I like to shower, um, in the morning when I'm playing tournaments, usually I shower at night. Um, this kind of helps me wake up a little bit. Um, I think it's super important for myself to eat breakfast in the morning. Um, this is also the only full meal I plan to eat for the whole day. Um, ideally, it's like some kind of eggs and greens, like no bread, if I can help it. Um, but I will eat bread if that's like the only option. Like I, I've, I've found for me, it's super important to eat something substantial to start the day. Um, and then between every single round, I'm having some kind of snack. Um, I'm like really working in detail to have like this outlined and planned out and I'm, I'm hoping to publish kind of this like optimal lifestyle for a card gamer to help min max your performance. Um, but between each round, I plan to snack, get water, go to the bathroom and ideally not talk to anyone. Um, that part's hard to hold true to, but it really does take a lot of energy out of me when I'm like talking about games between rounds. Maybe I'll just do some listening, but, um, what I really had success with last year is like five to 10 minutes before the round timer ends, I'll kind of go and sit by myself, put on music and just kind of like regroup, refocus and, and get in the zone. That's really the routine. Once the day's over, if I'm live for top eight, I'm probably grabbing something quick to eat and going to bed. Um, as soon as I'm out of top eight or I've won the event, I'm going out and partying with the team. Whatever we're doing, I'm in, I'll get ice cream. I'll, I'll do some drinking, whatever the plan is. I mean, mine's kind of similar. I mean, it's get up, it's always shower in the morning. Um, I would like, I typically have like a small breakfast, uh, preferably again, eggs or some protein or even like a protein bar or something. Um, mm. but typically I won't have carbs in the morning. Um, and then uh, I do a couple of things. I'll have something with caffeine in it in the morning, whether that's preferably not an energy drink, but, uh, preferably coffee. Um, and then I bring a, I typically bring an energy drink with me. I bring a pet like a pepsi or a coke or something it's the only time that i have a soda that's not diet because i think the sugar is important um and then i have water with me for every round uh and then i bring an insure with me for later because i'm not going to eat at all throughout any part of the day uh because typically when i eat i get tired um 
at, at these events every time, even if it's just like small stuff, I, I end up getting more tired. I just typically after like round four or five, I just drink and ensure. Uh, and that gives you, you know, gives me all the calories and everything that I need. Uh, and I, I float by that every single time. And then I won't eat the whole day. I'll make sure I drink water between every round, which is something that I keep up on myself about. Go to the bathroom. I also don't really talk to a lot of people in between rounds. Um, I typically just like walk around or go outside or something. But pretty simple. But the yeah, note- when I'm like really taking it serious, I prefer the, like the thumbs up, thumbs down method for teammates. Yep. Like I, I want the information, but I don't want to use my voice or like my listening capabilities because it really does drain energy. Like it's a real thing. Yep. No, I agree. I just think it's. Uh, yeah, I just I know I can't eat during an event. Mm. Every time I just yep. get you gotta I do what works for you. So tired. And I yeah, found it's like that, caffeine, too. Yeah. Like that works for a lot of people. I, I can't do caffeine. It upsets my stomach and it doesn't make help me think any better it's like every, between every round it's like mm. i'm like okay take a couple drinks of water take a couple mm. drinks of of soda and that's it and then like move yep. on to the next one and then like next round a little bit and so by the end of the day they're both empty and you're just like perfect yeah and, then, and there's studies that prove like even soda for this kind of thing can be beneficial if, yep. if it works for you like that's a real thing yeah you know, mm. sugar being helpful when you're actually using your brain that's like yep. it's why it's the only time i actually have like a full sugar soda yep. is at at events yeah and again sugar doesn't agree with me as well so it's you got to figure out what works for you but having a routine is probably the key just having one is, is very helpful oh, i think i need to learn from what y'all said about not talking after a game because i will rant to anyone who will listen uh normally about how awesome the game was because most levi games are that way uh but also if it's a draft game or something where i rolled ones and two ones i will similarly rant so Maybe you gotta I just utilize the, the tournament reports, Ethan. Rant, rant in right, the Discord, right. and then we can talk about it at dinner. I like this. Maybe that's how I earn this PTI. I shall stop talking. It really makes a difference. Okay, next question here is, what do you consider some core tenets of effective testing? If someone was building a team with some of their friends and wanted to get the most out of their testing sessions, what advice would you give them? This is from uh, Sketchy Man in a White Van. Yeah, we could do a few episodes on this. Yeah. Um, I will give one technique that's just not like a super hidden thing mm-hmm. that I think is very valuable, especially when you're first starting out, um, and especially if you're trying to build everyone's skill level up. And I think it's what we call hydrating, um, where you're you're going to hydra a game. Essentially, you're going to have uh, one person play a deck and then everyone else play the other deck against that person. It could be three, four, two people, whatever. Uh, you can do it on both sides if you want, but the, the main idea is to have someone play a deck on a matchup that you want to practice, and then everyone else essentially plays the other deck at the same time. Uh, and then you talk through all of your moves. Everyone can give opinions of like, hey, this is what I would do here. You can talk about why. I found that, especially when you're first starting out, especially when you're both everyone trying to get everyone's skill level up, that it's very helpful for one, seeing new lines that you might not have considered so that you can start figuring out personally, why did I miss that? Why did I not see that line? Two, finding out the most optimal lines to play in general, because you might not know what they are depending on what the deck is. Um, and three, it allows everybody kind of to participate at the same time and starts like raising up, you know, that ability. Uh, and I mean, that's what we used a lot with Chain is we just had a bunch of people in a Discord together initially. So someone would be playing like a fatigue deck. There would be... I don't know, 10 people on the other side all playing chain and we would be like, okay, what are we doing? And what the person who's actually controlling it would be like, I'm going to do this. And then people are like, well, what if you did that? And we're like, well, let's think about it. And then we do the math and then we go through every line. Yeah. It does take a while and you guys have to be okay with, you know, it. you're not going to just blow through games. But I feel like that technique, especially at the beginning, especially if you're forming a team, I think that is incredibly helpful. You don't have to do it forever, uh, but I think it's very, it's a, it's a way to spend the time that I think is valuable for everybody. Mm. I, I have uh, two kind of takes or tips for this um, in terms of like principles. Like I think the biggest thing is like trust. Make sure like the people you're working with, you can trust their findings and their opinions. Like you don't have to like be like this person had this findings. I have to like 100% go with that. Like, no, you just need to trust that like what they're saying is valid and maybe like understand their perspective better. But like 
you, you need the information to be good, right? That's why you have this testing group. Um, the other thing is slipping my mind. I forgot what I was going to say, so I'm going to move on to my next point, which <laughs> was to test with purpose. Um, just make sure anytime you're testing that like you have a question you're trying to answer or a goal you're looking to achieve um, and like write it down and write down the answer also. I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I've got one that I think uh, really I hadn't had much experience with just because Leviathan was so esoteric for the longest while. But that's really to have um, for someone who's like pretty much leading the deck building on a specific deck, let's say, be open to fielding even like the most innocent, the most starter questions from anyone else on the team. I forgot. There we go. Uh, who is trying to grasp that hero similarly rather than just jumping mm. in and being didactic around like you, do, you play it this way, you play it this way, you play it this way. To have someone come in and almost like push your buttons and ask the questions repeatedly, ask over and over, um, almost at a basic level about all these premises on a deck, uh, can really open up the person who's deck built and maybe been like a little, a little bit too locked into their ways mm -hmm. of thinking around a deck to um, just be challenged a bit. And um, yeah, it, it leads to this like kind of two way street where you're learning from someone's uh, kind of beginning, the, the, the beginning steps that they're on in this hero's journey uh, along with them, as well as them learning from you rather than you just kind of shutting them up and telling them how to play it, right? Uh, there's a two way street there, which really helped uh, Kind of tune the Leviathan deck with Pat specifically. Uh, anyone else who's picking up the deck, there are a lot of questions as to like, well, hold up, hold up. Like you're running through this card, but I'm hating this card when I'm playing it. Tell me again why you like it, right? And then realizing after I have to articulate it, mm, okay, hold up. Actually, there's some fault in this logic. I see what Pat's saying. His suggestion makes sense now. Let's try it that way. Back and forth, back and forth. Um, and it, it really, it really was unique to have those kinds of conversations. Even if I wasn't that good at it, the longest while, I'm pretty set in my ways with a while, uh, and yet it came to fruition with this top four run recently with a pretty, like, novel take on Sherlin for Lim and Shade and all that, and that wouldn't have come without, like, Yanji and Pat being pushy. Yeah, I'm going to say, that take makes you think of UNG. Like, if you're closed-minded, you're going to miss out on so many of UNG's, like, absolute genius takes, because a lot of them are, like, pretty wild and far-fetched, but, like, if you keep an open mind, like, I've gotten so much value out of, like, his opinions and takes like, like the tear life from him, like he thought of that. And when we were testing five for, I don't know if it was nationals or worlds, I think it was nationals. We weren't playing E-Strike and like in a bubble, that card's bad in five, right? Cause it's the mode you're usually doing is below raid and, or it's eating your snaps to be a good card. But it was like, because of what it does for the deck, it was like exactly the, the answer to solve the problems we were having. And like, if we didn't have an open mind about that, I would be like, no, E-Strike's a bad card because that's how I felt at that time. Like, I'm not playing it. But it made a huge impact there. Perfect. Okay, last question here by Novin. And it is, who are the current meta Blitz heroes after the shakeup of the skirmish season? And I don't know anything about Blitz for the most part. Uh, other than Leviathan is really fun. Because uh, that's it's the so only fun. thing I've been playing. In 20 Blitz. damage. But Dan, you have been testing this and will continue to test this. So yeah. what do you think? Uh, I think it's similar to CC where it's like tournament playable tier and tournament not playable tier. But there's way more decks in tournament not player tier, playable tier rather than in CC. Um, my current read, and I'm still figuring it out, is like the top decks are like Dash, Briar, you can look at like what performed at Skirmish, right? Just look at the LL leaderboard, who earned the most points that hasn't LL'd. Dash, Briar, um, I think Fatigue Guardians are way better than Aggressive Guardians right now. Um, Emperor is really strong. I think that's kind of the perceived top tier. I think Leviathan should be in there. It's not performing in that tier. Um, maybe just a step below is like Leviathan, Vincent, Prisms. Um, I'm probably forgetting something, but I think the top tier is like Dash, Briar, Fatigue Heroes, and Emperor. It's like a triangle um, where Briar is kind of like the new Ira in my mind, where it's like a, a fair deck who does like mid-range really well with the embodiments, and it has these spike turns that can just present 20. Um, where like Dash is just like, no, I'm just dealing 20 every turn for the first three turns. Like, deal with it. 
Yep, I also can't really comment on Blitz, but I've been playing tons of UPF. <laughs> which does, I don't think that translates at all, because I can talk to you all day about Melody. But I don't think you want to play that hero. <laughs> Let's... No, probably not. It, I don't know. For me, it's like, a, it's deal 20 damage every turn decks. Mm -hmm. It's fatigue decks, and it's the last wizard. Like, it's a degenerate format. It, that, all the 20 health formats are so degenerate, and I love it. Except Clash. Shout out. Okay, I can buy that. I haven't tried it yet. We'll do so something I probably won't cool if it's then. not degenerate. No, it, it's it's by design like the least degenerate way you can play a young hero format. Uh, nice. Bloop's been hyping it up and it's gotten a lot of traction on Twitter again, which is cool. Uh, but, you know, not in official format, so who cares? Yep. I don't have to care until they make me care, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's how I feel. Okay, great. I uh, appreciate everyone uh, staying tuned here with us, uh, but we got to go. It's time to go. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Take care. See ya. Yeah, we're getting rid of the envelope Seven here, but... Um, envelope we could do here darkness. is go ahead and play the envelope. Uh, all three pitches of envelope and darkness.